This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. This episode contains some descriptions and sounds of violence. Listener discretion advised. Support for the Republican Party has dropped to an all-time low of 18% of the electorate. There have been warnings from Republican leaders that the party might not survive its present wrangling. It seems hard to believe now, but in the mid-1970s, the Republican Party looked on the verge of self-destruction. More and more analysts are predicting the Republicans will go the way of the Whigs. It sounds like an epic misfire of prognostication. But even the party's head, Republican National Chairwoman Mary Louise Smith, echoed the predictions of doom. Unless you and I get together and work for this party, we may have no party at all. One problem was Watergate. The scandal had pushed away many voters who'd cast ballots for Republicans just a couple years before. But the bigger problem was who remained. In particular, one vocal faction that had long been a minority, conservatives. As I mentioned last episode, both major parties traditionally had included voters from across the ideological spectrum. Partisanship had been messy and muddled rather than drawn along clear lines. Establishment Republican leaders called for a return to that paradigm. The party with the smaller numbers can't win by division. You win by addition. I don't want to see one party of the right and one of the left. But the conservatives in the party loathed compromise. They did not want to build a coalition with people who didn't share their views. I'm sick and tired of hearing about broadening the party base. We've gotten to the point where we stand for absolutely nothing. This ideological fight tore the Republican Party during President Gerald Ford's time in office. Are we in for a struggle for the soul of the Republican Party now? Ford wanted to rebuild the party as it had been. He wanted the big tent. Conservatives rejected this, and they rallied around another candidate to challenge the incumbent president in the primaries. The candidate they chose was widely viewed as extreme, gaff-prone, a lightweight, who had absolutely no hope of becoming president, Ronald Reagan. It was one of those, you got to be kidding me moments. The minority of the minority is now setting the tone and forcing the action. The Republican tail is wagging the dog. When pundits talked about the GOP following the Whig Party into extinction, they were referring to what would happen if Ronald Reagan somehow won the nomination. Dogs in that condition lose their bite. If you are under the age of 85, you have lived most of your life in a world where American politics is drastically different because of Ronald Reagan. The conservative movement had long been considered fringe and paranoid. It had a history of embarrassing losses until Reagan brought it into the mainstream and eventually to electoral dominance. This is a story about how an aging former movie star became conservative's best hope, how outlandish and unbelievable it seemed as he went from political novice to presidential prospect and began to transform the GOP. From Nuanced Tales in partnership with WFAE, distributed by the NPR Network. This is Landslide. I'm Ben Bradford. In this episode, Ronald Reagan's rise to prominence, 
the start of his campaign against Ford, how he came this close to irrelevance. To understand it, we have to go back to his first campaign, when he ran for governor of California in 1966. Two-term governor of California Pat Brown thought he had a stranglehold on the state's politics. But now Brown found himself losing his re-election race. You could hear the disbelief in his voice, especially over who he was losing to. What has Ronald Reagan ever done for the state of California in his entire life, other than make a motion picture, bedtime for Bonzo? Ronald Reagan was a faded movie star, somewhat past his best. Bedtime for Bonzo. Starring Ronald Reagan, Diana Lynn, and Bonzo, that amazing chimp. There is one way we might get him to do it. Bananas. Bananas? His heyday had been decades earlier, in the late 1930s and early 40s. He'd appeared in dozens of films as a reporter. My job is spreading news. A federal agent slash action hero. Hang on to everything. Here we go. A dying college football player. Win just one for the kipper. By the time of his unexpected run for governor, most people identified Reagan with television. He'd hosted the ultra-popular GE Theater. Good evening. I am Ronald Reagan speaking for General Electric. Weekly, he appeared charming and amiable in your living room, introducing and sometimes acting in a TV movie. Young James Dean, one of the bright new actors in Hollywood, appears with me. Reagan also did commercials for GE, which brought viewers into his home. They saw the perfect nuclear family happily using the company's products. Everything's just right, isn't it, Patty? Yeah. A bit of reality TV. This was Reagan's popular image. Faded actor, kindly TV host. The idea that he was running for governor seemed like a joke. That's not to say Reagan didn't have a political side. He did, just under the radar. And it was intense. The conspiracy that is communism is stronger, more determined than ever. Reagan was a fervent anti-communist, a believer in a dark conspiracy theory that the Reds lurked in the shadows waiting to take over America. Their target is us, our institutions, our religions, our families, our children. During the Red Scare of the 40s and 50s, Reagan led the Screen Actors Guild. He fed names of colleagues he suspected of communist sympathies to the FBI. He married his second wife, a vocal arch-conservative, Nancy Davis and began to adopt her politics. He traveled the country for the famously anti-union GE and became a dinner speaker. Gradually, Reagan came to see the threat of communism in Congress and the federal budget. We have perverted our Constitution, perverted it with regard to a welfare clause that doesn't exist, perverted it with regard to the misuse of the taxation system. Almost any new government program was a step toward totalitarianism. The doctor begins to lose freedoms. He railed against a federal effort that would offer seniors health care. From here, it's a short step to all the rest of socialism. The program was eventually called Medicare. Pretty soon, your son won't decide when he's in school where he will go or what he will do for a living. He will wait for the government to tell him. An opposition to all things government, tied to a fear of communism. These were Ronald Reagan's underlying beliefs. And that remained true throughout his time in public life. Before his run for governor, the nation caught one glimpse of their amiable TV host's more extreme political side. It was 1964, a terrible election year for Republicans coming after President John F. Kennedy's assassination. 
the right-wing fringe of the GOP, to which Reagan now belonged, staged a coup in the party. They nominated one of their own for president, Senator Barry Goldwater. Goldwater's campaign was doomed from the start, but just before a landslide defeat, the campaign televised a speech. Ronald Reagan, the actor, had taped it on Goldwater's behalf. His familiar face appeared in living rooms around the nation, this time not amiable, angry. Somewhere a perversion has taken place. Our natural unalienable rights are now considered to be a dispensation of government. Standing at a lectern, he warned of creeping totalitarianism. And freedom has never been so fragile, so close to slipping from our grasp as it is at this moment. It was an unvarnished display of his apocalyptic belief that the government would end democracy any day now. This is the issue of this election. Whether we believe in our capacity for self-government or whether we abandon the American Revolution and confess that a little intellectual elite in a far distant capital can plan our lives for us better than we can plan them ourselves. But the other aspect of the speech was, it was compelling. Reagan could spin a story. Complex policy became simple and understandable. Good versus evil, heroes and villains. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. For most people, Reagan's moment in the Goldwater campaign was a footnote amid a landslide defeat. But some conservatives who watched saw an opportunity, a magnetic, articulate messenger for their views. It's it's not charisma, uh, it's something else. David Keene saw the speech when he was 19 years old. He would grow up to aid Reagan in his presidential campaigns. If you were able to bottle it, you could control the country because you could sell it to candidates. But if they don't have it, they don't have it. And Reagan had it. A group of Goldwater's financial backers approached Reagan with a wild idea. What if he traded the screen for the political stage? Maybe a movie star could put a better face on conservatism. Ronald Reagan is now a declared candidate for the Republican nomination for governor of California. The incumbent governor, Pat Brown, dismissed Reagan's chances. A political neophyte and fire-breathing extremist didn't stand a chance of surviving the Republican primary. Except Reagan soon premiered a new, more effective message, no fire-breathing to be found. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. In his gubernatorial announcement, Reagan is smiling in a comfortable living room. For the last six months, I've been traveling up and down the state, meeting as many of you as I could, answering questions and uh, asking a few. Down to the framing of the shot, it is a return to the amiable host of GE Theater. And he veiled his radical anti-communist views behind a more reasonable and optimistic message. Legislation alone can't solve our problems, nor will they disappear under a shower of tax dollars. The gold of the golden state is to be found in its people. Reagan suggested that cutting government programs would actually solve the problems those programs were created for. It was this pitch, this story, that would define his political life. Conservatives were known as naysayers, but Reagan recast them as optimists. Because I believe there isn't anything that we can't do in California if we will call upon the people 
instead of getting on the hotline to Washington every time something goes wrong. This is my opinion. On the campaign trail, his charisma and ability to sell a story connected with voters. This fringe, lightweight actor blew past the experienced favorite in the Republican primary. He's the Republican nominee for governor. It's his first political contest. Governor Pat Brown was happy. He wanted to face Reagan. The matchup would be no contest. Brown embodied what government could do. His legacy included vast new freeways and universities, civil rights, consumer protection, government reform. The contrast was clear. While we've been building this great big state of California, its colleges and its universities and its freeways, where was my opponent? It was a good argument, because while today we're used to political novices winning big races, in the 1960s, candidates were expected to have experience. But Reagan leveraged his outsider status. He pointed out the cracks in what Brown had built. He criticized the high taxes that paid for reservoirs and highways, the expansive welfare rolls. Above all, the movie star latched onto one issue, unrest. This was the mid-1960s, the Vietnam War, the counterculture, and the civil rights movement. At the University of California, students led free speech protests and took over campus buildings. And you've got to indicate to the people who run it, to the people who own it, that unless you're free, the machine will be prevented from working at all. Campus protests escalated along with the Vietnam War. In Los Angeles, a catastrophic race riot broke out. Literally hundreds of cars were overturned and wrecked. Molotov cockpits have been flying through the air. It started in the low-income, largely black neighborhood of Watts. Broken glass, bricks, torn up pavement, looted stores, fires, and incredible destruction. The reasons behind the riots were tangled and complicated, spurred by decades of police brutality and racial inequality. But Reagan offered a simpler story. The protesters and the rioters were villains. The government and a culture of leniency had failed to crack down. Or do we no longer think it necessary to teach self-respect, self-discipline, and respect for law and order? The key theme of Ronald Reagan's 1966 campaign for governor was law and order. Our city streets are jungle paths after dark. But he saved his greatest rhetorical firepower for the college students and their protests. A small minority of beatniks, radicals, and filthy speech advocates have brought shame on a great university. His own campaign manager was at first confused by Reagan's fixation on the protesters. Stu Spencer recalled in an oral history his reaction after one early speech. He really sliced them a piece of Ooh, baloney, you really went after him. And we got back to the room and I says, why are you talking about that? I says, it's a blip in the polls. He looks me right in the eye and he says, it won't be when I get through. He was right. <laughs> Reagan relayed stories about the students that were truly shocking. As a matter of fact, I have here a copy of a report of the district attorney of Alameda County. It concerns a dance that was sponsored by the Vietnam Day Committee sanctioned by the university as a student activity. And he read a description of what we'd now call a rave. Three rock and roll bands were in the center of the gymnasium playing simultaneously all during the dance. He described drugs and sex. Persons twisted and gyrated in provocative and sensual fashion. All the worst vices of the hippies. The smell of marijuana was prevalent all over the entire building. And 
if you were a Californian, your tax dollars supported this. At 2 a.m., 2.10 a.m., an electrician had to be summoned by a custodian to cut off the power, which was the only way they could close the gymnasium and get the dance ended. The story summed up everything Reagan was opposing with his candidacy. A liberal government coddling the unpatriotic anti-war, the lawless, the drug-addled hippies. There was only one problem with this story. It was fiction. The DA, whose report Reagan was ostensibly reading, said it was totally made up. In fact, Reagan's speeches were littered with exaggerations and outright falsehoods. He favored a compelling story, even if it was fast and loose with the facts. But charges of untruth never stuck. The press struggled to handle the falsehoods Reagan repeated. Sometimes a reporter would challenge him. Just now, you said you aren't one of those who advocates selling the post office. A year ago last June, you said, uh, I think we should turn the U.S. postal system over to AT&T. And Reagan would smoothly deny that there was any contradiction. No, I think your memory's tricking you a little bit there. Uh, no, no, a, a, a senator, a woman senator from Oregon. Had a he came off as reasonable and amiable. More than that. To a lot of voters, it didn't matter if his words weren't accurate. What he said felt true. Understand, Reagan was making social tumult the focus of his campaign. He was appealing to a certain type of voter upset by a changing culture and new social movements. Reporters, pollsters, and voters clearly understood who Reagan was appealing to. Where and why is white backlash really an issue? Well, it's a very important issue, and it could certainly help defeat Governor Brown in California. It was a culture war campaign before culture war was a term. Emotions carry the day. Okay. Spencer, Reagan's campaign manager. He had Watts. He had campus unrest. He had welfare mamas. All of these are highly social issues, highly emotional issues. And Pat's talking about highways, dams, all the stuff that he accomplished. The emotions are going to win out over the end. Election night was a landslide. Reagan captured all but a handful of counties in the state. Governor Reagan, I now declare you to be duly installed as governor of the state of California. The lightweight actor toppled the powerful incumbent. He did it with votes from Republicans and Democrats attracted to his cultural appeals. It was an early hint at the polarized battle lines that would soon define American politics. And for conservatives, it was a signature victory. One of their own had captured the highest office in the largest state in the nation. Instantly, the question became whether conservatives could propel him even further. There is a very real possibility that Ronald Reagan, an actor who ran for his first public office just over a year ago, will be the next Republican candidate for president. He threw his name in at the 1968 Republican convention, but another candidate already had the nomination locked up, Richard Nixon. In the general election that year, Nixon's presidential campaign had a clear resemblance to the one Reagan had run in California. Nixon focused on social tumult, especially law and order. It is time for an honest look at the problem of order in the United States. 
Nixon won a first term, and then a second by courting conservative Democrats following the model Reagan had set in California that bolstered the right wing of the Republican Party. But conservatives were still just a part of the GOP, a bigger part, but not in charge. Once Nixon was out of office, though, the thinking went, Ronald Reagan would have his chance. He could make the Republican Party the Conservatives' party. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit TeladocHealth.com slash What's Your Why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C Health slash What's Your Why. This message comes from the Kresge Foundation. Established 100 years ago, the Kresge Foundation works to expand equity and opportunity in cities across America. A century of impact, a future of opportunity. More at kresge.org. The intervening years put a ragged edge on the idea of a nationwide Reagan candidacy. Two years into his governorship, student protesters at Berkeley chanted, this is our campus, as armed, helmeted, bayonet-wielding National Guardsmen drove them off. A helicopter unleashed tear gas as university students scrambled away in a chaotic scene. Reagan was making good on his campaign promise to stop the protesters. Police fired buckshot into crowds. One round hit a visiting student, James Rector, and it killed him. Reagan blamed college administrators. He held a testy, televised meeting with faculty and sounded more like an actor in a movie than a governor. Listen, you are a liar. He stormed out cinematically. And yet... This didn't seem to hurt him with California voters. His approval only grew. He won a second term handily. Over time, he demonstrated more governing savvy, including an ability to compromise. He struck some major deals with his political opponents, despite his hardline rhetoric. But the national view was that a leap to the GOP presidential nomination was unlikely. Patently ridiculous unless you suspect Republicans of suicidal tendencies, opined the New York Times. As Nixon's presidency was winding toward its tumultuous end, Reagan gained a reputation for gaffes. He blurted things that no politician should. He declared that in the Vietnam War, the U.S. had simply not fought hard enough. There was a weakening of the will and a commitment to the cause of freedom. He continued to defend the president for Watergate up to the week Nixon resigned in disgrace. I haven't seen any evidence 
that he has committed an impeachable offense. He called it a partisan witch hunt. What precedent do we set if simply by pressure from uh, the opposing party, from the media and so forth, a president of the United States can be driven out of office and forced to resign? He was extreme, gaff-prone, already a little old at the time to become a likely contender in his mid-60s. But the biggest obstacle to his hopes for the GOP nomination was that there was a new incumbent in his way, Gerald Ford. I fully intend to seek the nomination of the Republican Party as its candidate for president in 1976. Ford's appointment and decision to run for a full term seemed to scuttle Reagan's chances. It put him in an impossible situation, either challenge the incumbent president of his own party, which was just not done, or his campaign aide David Keene says, lose his chance. The feeling was that if Ford won, Reagan would never get the nomination. The party would remain in the hands of the Eastern establishment. But even if Reagan did challenge Ford, it looked grim. Polls showed most Republicans preferred the president. Reagan remained only the niche favorite of conservatives. 40% prefers Gerald Ford as the Republican presidential nominee next year. Running second in this poll is Ronald Reagan with 17%. It all seemed to dash the hopes conservatives had held for the better part of a decade at this point, that Reagan could get the Republican presidential nomination. So many of the most prominent conservatives in the country floated an alternative. Reagan should leave the Republican Party, and they would follow him into a new party. There was talk everywhere of forming a third party, a conservative party. This idea was widespread among the right wing at the time. We need a new political party at the presidential level. Advocates included the head of the American Conservative Union and the publisher of the flagship magazine of the right, National Review. Uh, The idea that we simply cannot think of anything next year except Gerald Ford and one of these helpless nerds who are now running around competing for the Democratic nomination is preposterous. And these conservative leaders had a specific running mate in mind for Reagan, George Wallace. How can you be too strong on segregation? You either for it or against it. And I am for it, and I don't want any mistake made about how I stand on it. George Wallace was a segregationist, race-baiting populist, and the Democratic governor of Alabama. He'd fashioned his political career by opposing civil rights and stoking racial resentment in white voters. The matter of law and order. They even say you can't pray in a public school anymore. Chaos exists in this country in the public school system because of busing. This might seem like an odd pair, but... Both Wallace and Reagan ran campaigns predicated on social issues and law and order. They both opposed the major civil rights legislation of the 60s, the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. Compare Reagan to Wallace. Our limited government with its decentralized powers has given way to planners, and they've laid an increasingly heavy hand on every facet of our lives. This omnipotent uh, march of centralized government is going to destroy the rights and freedom and liberty of the people of this country. If anyone could start a viable third party, it would be the favorite of conservative Republicans, Ronald Reagan, joining forces with his Democratic counterpart, George Wallace. Ronald Reagan and George Wallace, as many conservatives believe, Wallace and Reagan is the only right ticket for 1976. Reagan considered it. Certainly, he seemed not to shut the door. No one knew what he would do. 
whether he would join a third-party bid or challenge Ford as a Republican or, at 64 years old, just retire to his ranch. I have said repeatedly and I repeat again, I have a decision to make. Uh, I don't know what that decision will be. Months passed and speculation grew. Finally, Reagan did make an announcement. He indicated he would not join a third-party ticket with Wallace. May I suggest an alternative to that? Reagan called instead for conservatives to stay in the GOP and transform it from within. Let's have a new first party, a Republican party, raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels, a banner instantly recognizable as standing for certain values which will not be compromised. In other words, Ronald Reagan was calling for a conservative takeover. And it wasn't hard to read the subtext. He would challenge Gerald Ford for the Republican nomination. Right? Except a month passed, and still Reagan didn't formally announce his candidacy. Then another. Then a third month. At the same time, he was taking all of the other steps for a presidential campaign. This candidate who is unannounced, but running hard. He traveled to early primary states, meeting voters, giving speeches. Very soon, if we're not careful, we're going to live in a country where everything that isn't prohibited is compulsory. Ronald Reagan now has campaigned in 30 states by plane, by train, and by bus. The press took it as a foregone conclusion he was in the race. So why did he not announce? There was a reason. Reagan had finished his final term as governor at the beginning of the year. And ever since, he had struck on a powerful way of staying relevant and reaching even more voters. He was on the radio. This is Ronald Reagan. Thanks for listening. Before the era of conservative talk radio, Reagan recorded daily opinion segments and used them to court voters. Encouraged by some professional welfareists, many lose their desire to leave welfare and begin accepting it as a way of life. The segments were short, just a few minutes. And like in his campaign for governor, he was genial as he targeted emotional issues. I don't believe anything will be accomplished by making it harder for honest citizens to own guns. But I can find no evidence whatever that a fetus is not a living human being with human rights. The idea of the commentaries was to give him some visibility to parts of the country that really didn't know him. Frank Donatelli headed the conservative group Young Americans for Freedom and raised money for the broadcasts. Hundreds of stations aired Reagan's radio segments. It was incredible exposure. But there was a problem. Whenever Reagan did formally announce his candidacy, a federal equal time rule would kick in, and it would mean... Well, I can't do the radio show, and according to Federal Communications Commission regulations, Reagan movies could not be shown on television. So the public was deprived of bedtime for Bonzo. Bananas. So Reagan held off on a formal announcement. And meanwhile, he rose in the polls. There are some new indications that Ronald Reagan's strength is on the increase. Gerald Ford's lead shrank from 20 points to 10 to 5. By November of 1975, three months before the first primary, voters were equally divided between the establishment president and the right-wing governor. Support for NPR and the following message come from Betterment, an automated investing and savings app. CEO Sarah Levy shares why Betterment believes cash can be a strategic choice. 
There are times when the market is volatile, when customers are a little nervous about investing. We came to understand that there was an opportunity to introduce cash as part of an investing strategy and to give back yields to the customer. Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk. Performance not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. This message is brought to you by NPR sponsor, Progressive Insurance. You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options within your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive, and it's Name Your Price Tool. Say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show coverage options within your budget. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. President Ford couldn't quite believe that Reagan was actually going to run against him. I didn't anticipate any Republican opposition because I knew we would have a very tough time against the Democrat nominee. But it wasn't just that. Ford viewed Reagan as a lightweight, not a serious threat. Someone, he wrote, who offered, quote, simplistic solutions to hideously complex problems. Like Governor Pat Brown before him, Ford thought a matchup would be a cinch. There was just not this sense that, oh, this is just politically catastrophic. His staff assistant, Greg Willard, says the president was more irritated than worried. It was one of those, you got to be kidding me moments. But then Ford watched his lead evaporate. He watched Reagan campaigning unofficially, drawing big crowds, news headlines. And Ford scrambled to fight back. The president, who'd focused on compromise across the ideological spectrum, started to sound like Reagan. Too many Americans have relied too much or too long on the government in Washington. He tried to placate the right wing of his party with actions. Maybe that could stave off a Reagan challenge. When New York City went bankrupt, the president shot down any bailout. Tonight, the president speaks to a Republican fundraising dinner in Los Angeles, and his hard line on New York City is expected to go over very well with that crowd. But Reagan continued his climb in the polls. So Ford took an even bigger step. He dropped his running mate, the liberal Republican Vice President Nelson Rockefeller. So the whole Ford attempt to broaden his party and administration by bringing Rockefeller to Washington has been aborted. The decision to lose Rockefeller was also personal. The two were close. And Ford never forgave himself for caving to the pressure. He lamented it to his biographer. The Reagan people were vicious, and he was a symbol that I was the tool of the liberals. One of the few cowardly things I think I've done in my life that I'm embarrassed about. Now, that doesn't mean it was the wrong thing to do to get the nomination, but it wasn't the right thing to do to a friend. Two weeks later, Ronald Reagan officially announced his candidacy against Ford. Ford was already on the back foot. Reagan's strategists believed they could capitalize by launching a fast, hard-hitting campaign focused on winning the very first primary in New Hampshire, 
It was designed to be a quick knockout. Remember, he was not an elected president. The only thing he'd been elected to was a House district. So that if you could beat an incumbent back to back, you could knock him out quickly. Frank Donatelli became an outside advisor, Charlie Black a political director. They say, in search of the knockout, Reagan swept into New Hampshire. You'll be making 30 stops in about 48 hours in New Hampshire. For the third time in three weeks, Republican Ronald Reagan is campaigning in the Granite State. His campaign hit all the same notes as his successful run in California. The optimism, the movie star charisma. It is a meet the people campaign, being seen, shaking as many hands as possible. Reagan targeted hot button social and cultural issues. I believe this is a nation under God. Uh, I don't think he ever should have been expelled from the classroom. He ran as an outsider with a simple pitch, a compelling story about who were the heroes and who were the villains. Government is not the solution. Government is the problem. Soon, his advantage was apparent. The president may have Air Force One, a limousine, and all the rest, but he may have trouble catching Ronald Reagan in a bus. Ford was in the same position Governor Pat Brown had been in, the incumbent behind in the polls against a man he'd underestimated as a lightweight. He couldn't see a path to victory unless somehow his opponent made a mistake. Stu Spencer was the political consultant who'd run Reagan's campaigns for governor. But this election, he was working against his old employer. The Ford campaign had hired Spencer as an advisor. He knew what Reagan did well, and just as importantly, what he didn't. Reagan's a rhythm candidate, just like an athlete. Good pitcher gets in the rhythm, he finds a strike zone. Reagan was a rhythm candidate. You knock him out of rhythm and he gets screwed up for a week. Temper problem, unjust accusation problem, and he just, he wasn't himself. But what could throw him off? Spencer poured through Reagan's speeches, his press conferences, opinion columns, looking for the perfect little knife. He found a small item in the Washington Post, an article, It mentioned a proposal Reagan had made back in the fall during his unofficial campaigning. Reagan presented an idea that displayed just how extreme he was. He called for a massive cut to the federal social safety net, including Medicaid, child nutrition, housing programs, unemployment benefits, a radical reshaping of government. Reagan also said states could keep any of the programs if they wanted to fund them themselves. So Spencer called reporters in New Hampshire and accused Reagan of advocating for higher state taxes. In stop after stop, Reagan has been asked about taxes. Would his reported call for a $90 billion cut in the federal budget mean higher taxes on the local level? This was a mind-wrinkling line of attack. Reagan was as anti-tax of a candidate as there's ever been. His extreme proposal would lower total taxes. That was part of the point. But technically, Spencer was right. If enacted, the plan could result in a tax increase in some states. In New Hampshire, that's bad politics. Reagan tried to explain that total taxes would go down. The people at the local and state level would be able to make the decision, number one, as to whether they wanted to continue the programs. But the questions didn't stop. Spencer handed out press releases and primed Ford's allies to ask about it at every turn. The questions drove Reagan to distraction. He seemed to back away from the plan, 
He gave a rambling answer, beginning with the words, I guess I made a mistake. Then he doubled down. Nothing could be farther from the truth. He looked petulant. I'd like to know, does Ford have a better idea? And all the while, his extreme proposal stayed in the news. Nearly everyone in New Hampshire has heard of the Reagan plan. Reagan had momentum in New Hampshire until this attack. That put Reagan on the defensive immediately, and he never got off of the defensive. So kudos, brilliant move by the Ford campaign. Ronald Reagan looked the way his opponents had always depicted him, extreme and lightweight, a TV host with a winning smile, not a sober political leader. It played right into core thematics of President Ford's campaign, which was competence, stability, and judgment. Primary day finally arrived after weeks of campaigning. The polls closed that evening. Reagan jumped to an early lead. He posed for a picture holding an evening newspaper, which showed him ahead. More votes were tallied, and his lead shrank. In his hotel room, ice in the champagne buckets melted while election officials kept counting. The celebratory bottles stayed corked. They were never opened. Good evening. The closest presidential primary ever held in New Hampshire is over, and Gerald R. Ford has won by a whisker. Ford had beaten Reagan, and the ultra-close margin didn't seem to matter. Ford had survived. The president had shown that he could win a major race. And the Reagan campaign was reeling. Their strategy had been to throw everything at the early primaries and knock out the president quickly. That had already failed. Oh, it was a shock to all of us. Reagan aide David Keene. Because we were convinced that we had this all worked out. The next primary was Florida. We were six points ahead in Florida before the New Hampshire primary. Three days after that, we were 12 points down. And President Ford appears to be closing an early Reagan lead. Ford won in Florida. And now it was the president going for the knockout. He's driving a nail in his political coffin here in Illinois. Ford just crushes us. Morale, you know, is pretty low at this point. Ford won five primaries in a row. It left Reagan not only behind in the delegate count, but deeply in debt. His campaign had exhausted its coffers for the early knockout, and now it had nothing left. Remember, we didn't have any money. I think he was somewhere in the Midwest when they took his airplane away. For Reagan to catch Ford now will require some kind of political miracle. It wasn't just Reagan's presidential hopes that were fading. Here was the best, most charismatic candidate the right wing could offer, and he couldn't compete against even an unpopular and unelected president. His losses seemed to confirm the conventional wisdom. The right wing's reactionary views had no place in national politics. What would happen now was obvious. Ford would be the standard bearer for the GOP. He could stop trying to cater to the most conservative in his party and go back to building a big tent. But Reagan was stubborn. He refused calls to drop out. He and his demoralized staff decided they would hang on as long as they could, at least through one more primary. The next one, in North Carolina. His campaign was broke. His chances looked hopeless. But in North Carolina, Reagan found the political miracle he needed. The phone lines exploded. 
I never saw anything like that in politics. It was just an eruption. Everything was bad about it, and starting with the polling. It was one of the great polling disasters. The North Carolina primary was like an atomic bomb. Next time on Landslide, a eugenicist, direct mail, and the Panama Canal give Reagan and his cause another chance. In addition to primary sources and archival footage, one key source for this episode was Matthew Dalek's excellent account of Reagan's run for governor, The Right Moment. You can see a full bibliography on our show page at wfae.org slash landslide. Landslide is a production of Nuanced Tales. It is created, hosted, reported, produced, and written by me, Ben Bradford. Edited by Rick Carr. Engineering and sound design by Jay Siebold. Our music is composed and performed by Matt Bradford. Hannah Luck created the cover art. Landslide is produced in partnership with WFAE. Greg Collard and Eli Portillo provided editorial support and strategic guidance. Web design and marketing support by Jen Lang and Lena Hong. Judon Marshall is the CEO at WFAE. The podcast is distributed by the NPR Network. Thanks to Dan McCoy, Lindsay McKenna, Gary DeWong, and the rest of the team at NPR. To see more about Landslide, visit our website at wfae.org slash landslide. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Capella University. With Capella's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. When voters talk during an election season, we listen. We ask questions, we follow up, and we bring you along to hear what we learned. Get closer to the issues, the people, and your vote at the NPR Elections Hub. Visit npr.org slash elections.